0: Good morning, church, and happy Family Day weekend. Thank you, Rana, for reading uh, this morning's scripture passage. We're going to be in James chapter 1, verses verses 1 to 18. And as she was uh, reading uh, that passage for us this morning, um, I don't know if you were like me, and as you heard the word trial, it kind of reverberated in your mind. Uh, What's the first thing that comes to your mind when you hear the word trial? Do you think of punishment or feeling exposed or seen? Do you get anxious and think of anxiety, pain, suffering, or all of these things? Our question for you is, are upcoming and future trials something that you look forward to? or things that you would want to learn how to avoid. Uh, In a sermon that I've heard from a pastor and theologian named uh, H.B. Charles, Jr., uh, he says that the Christian and trials are inseparable. Uh, The Christian is either entering a trial, in a trial, or coming out of a trial. Then entering a trial, in a trial, or coming out of a trial. Again, our upcoming and future trials, something that you look forward to or things that you would want to learn how to avoid if possible. The only trials that I naturally enjoy are free trials. <laughs> you see, in a free trial, uh, you enter uh, the, a, a season uh, you enter a relationship in which you are in control. You are the one who is testing and examining if that service you are going to commit to is what you want and what you need. Oftentimes you can choose when to start it. Uh, you may be able to not have to pay up front. And before the time ends, before you have to pay, you can probably jump ship with any con- without any consequences attached to that agreement. And it's maybe because of these free trials that I enjoy uh, that have probably skewed my and our understanding and expectations of how real trials are supposed to go down. Uh, the trials or seasons that God ensures that we go through um, are entering in, in trial and coming out of, they happen without our consent. Uh, they come in many shapes and sizes are for an unknown period of time uh, days, weeks, months, years, decades. And I believe that James would teach us unless, you know, uh, we are sent home, we die, we don't get an eject button from our trials. The only way out for us is through. That after climbing, going through that valley and climbing to that mountain, you do get a breather, you do get a chance to catch your breath when you enter into another valley and mountain to climb. And what if I told you that this is what God wants for us, that he wants us to live like this, that it's never a mistake uh, when you and I enter into a new trial, but in fact, it's leading us to a blessing instead. In verse 1 of James chapter 1, James says, James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the 12 tribes in the dispersion, greetings. It's believed, it's believed that this James here is James, the brother of Jesus, who wrote this book to the church of Jerusalem. They've been scattered from their homeland during and shortly after some persecution uh, that we can find in Acts chapter 12. After James, the son of Zebedee, is killed and Peter is thrown into prison, yet James, brother of Jesus, right into the church can say greetings. He's not just saying hello. It's a call to rejoice. James is saying that be happy. You now have a word from God despite you being persecuted and separated. And God is going to help you through this trial. And all the future trials you are gonna soon experience as well. If there's one thing I want you to understand and know by the end of this message, which is our big idea for today, it is this uh, that trials will go well and end well when we have the right attitude, posture, and perspective. That trials will go well and end well when we have the right attitude, posture, and perspective uh, so I got three truths to share with you from our passage today that will help you and I succeed in the trials we cannot avoid but need to go through so let me pray for God's help now we'll get into our first point. Uh, so Heavenly Father Lord thank you so much for your word I thank you God that it has everything that we need to know uh, in order for life in godliness and you desire for us to know Um, about trials, know how we are to think, act, behave, and view you and even ourselves in trials. So I pray that you speak through me, uh, that your word be heard and understood, and that it be applied and obeyed uh, in our lives. So I pray this uh, all in your name, amen. All right, so trials will go well and end well when you and I have the right attitude. That's our first point if you are taking notes today. Uh, there's actually six commands in our passage today, and uh, we're going to break them up into uh, three sections, looking at two commands per section. When, we, when you and I obey these commands, we will then achieve the characteristic that we are to have. If we count it all joy and let steadfastness have its full effect, we will then have the right attitude. That's going to be our format for today's message. In James chapter two, uh, James chapter one, verse two, you can look with me there. Uh, James says, "Count it all joy, my brothers and sisters, when you meet trials of various kinds." Uh, James starts off by telling us our first command: count to count it all joy when you and I meet trials. Uh, What's a trial? It's it's not like being called to stand in court. Uh, The word here means trouble. Something or someone has disrupted peace. You and I don't know when these trials are going to happen. They meet us. They, they catch us by surprise as if they were waiting for us. These trials are also various. Uh, that means multicolored. Uh, there's many shapes and sizes when it comes to our trials. It can happen also in any context. With a friend, with a sibling, with, a, with your spouse, with work, with finances or health, homes, cars, etc. But yet, James commands us this isn't a suggestion. He's not saying, I think you should count it all joy. He's telling us to count it all joy. That word count means to consider, uh, to think, to see and believe it in this way. That the trouble that you are in or entering in or coming out of is something that you can have joy in, that you can actually thank God for. I don't know if this has ever happened to you, uh, but growing up as a kid, uh, I would get into trouble a lot. I'd get into my own trials uh, myself. uh, When caught for my wrongdoing, for my sin and and misbehavior, um, you know how sometimes when you're, you're question, why did you do what you did? Do you understand what you did? We respond with like a smirk or, or a smile or, you know, we laugh in the worst situations uh, that we shouldn't be laughing in. And people view you as if you are a psychopath. Like, why are you laughing at this? Like, why do you think this is funny? That is us at times uh, being so anxious that our brain just shoots off in an emotion, and we, we laugh, and we don't know how to respond in those situations. But James is sort of telling us that Christians, that we have to see trials something to rejoice in. That we as Christians need to, in a sense, be psychopaths towards, towards trouble, that in the same way that the shepherds were to have great joy after hearing the good news that Jesus is born, you and I are to have great joy when we meet these various trials and troubles. The reason is because of verse three here. James says, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. You see, joy is the satisfaction or the comfort that comes from truth. Uh, Despite your situations, there is a truth able to comfort you, give you peace, give you reason to thank the Lord. You can have joy and lasting joy again because of this truth. We can have this attitude because now we know something. We can think this way because we've been taught something. Uh, You see, when it comes to... uh, 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 when, we, when, it comes to, uh, when we come across troubles and trials is that what we believe about God and his promises are now being put into question. Do you and I still believe that God is good despite what's going on right now in our lives? Faith is not something that's just needed for salvation. It's also needed for sanctification as well. It's required in our walk to be made more like Jesus. And this process is what James says is a test, the testing of our faith. To test something is to confirm and improve its quality and consistency. Does the knife cut what it's meant to cut? And if not, where's the sharpener at? Is this metal pure? And if not, where's the fire? How much weight do these seats hold? And if you don't know, let's get some weight and see its maximum capacity. Let's confirm that or test it. James teaches us that as this happens, steadfastness, or in in your Bibles may say, endurance is produced. It's a permanent and growing patience. a, A characteristic and quality that remains and continues to grow during and after the trial. In the same way that muscles need to go through discomfort in order to grow and get strong, so does faith need to be put to a test in order for it to grow. Steadfastness and patience is what's gained when faith goes to the gym. It's like when we run, our hearts learn how to beat faster and and handle operating at a faster uh, rate, enabling you to run longer and perform Better. In verse 4, we see our second command here. James says, And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Steadfastness and endurance has an end goal. James says here that we are to let steadfastness uh, uh, have its completion. You and I have the ability to actually hinder and make difficult the goal of our needed testing. When you and I refuse to count it all joy, that's what happens, to see the trouble that we are in as a necessary exercise for our trust in God and his promises to go deeper Instead of counting all joy, we will instead be bitter and frustrated and mad that we're in a trial in the first place. We misalign ourselves with what God desires of us. God wants us to be perfect and complete. Uh, This doesn't mean literal perfection, but it means maturity. A fully grown tree able to stand during a storm a fully set dinner table ready for the full course meal, a package from Ikea. Within the box is everything you need to be, for the item on the cover to be built according to what it was made for. You have gone through what you needed to go through, and you now have the right attitude to do what God has next for you. To be lacking in nothing is to be prepared. You haven't just passed this test. But you are also ready for the next one. Our attitude towards trials is also fueled and and revealed by our attitude towards God. I think this is why James also introduces himself as a servant in verse one. He could have said, James, a pillar apostle, or James, brother of Jesus, leader of the Jerusalem church. But he says here that, that he's a servant. That he and I should never forget that as a, a servant is not greater than his master. That it's been granted to us to not just reign with Christ, but to suffer with and for him as well. It is when we as Christians go through trials that we identify and represent Jesus. When we count it all joy and let steadfastness have its full effect. The early church and Christians around the globe today continue to face various trials for spreading the truth uh, to a world who doesn't just disbelieve Jesus, but hates him and his people as well. Let me show you an example. Acts chapter 5, verses 40 to 42 up on the screen says, and when they had called in the apostles, this is the apostles who are arrested uh, and then released again and then get arrested again for doing the same thing, sharing the gospel. They had called the apostles. They beat them and charged them not to go speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. Then they left their presence of the council, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. And every day in the temple and from house to house, they did not cease teaching and preaching that that the Christ is Jesus." They still believed and had faith that the gospel was true, uh, that Jesus came, died, resurrected, and ascended, and reigns in heaven and continued to believe this despite being told not to do so. This is what steadfastness and endurance and maturity looks like. The apostles here, disciples, are ready for the next test. The question is, are you Trials will go well and end well when we have the right attitude, posture, and perspective. So we've looked at attitude, and then I want us to now look at our posture. And the commands here are to ask and let, both dealing with humility. You can look with me now in verse 5 of chapter 1. It says, if, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given to him. You see, a wise man knows he does not know enough. And though trials are unavoidable, God does not leave us on our own to go through them. He provides the means to succeed in our trials. You see, again, I think the only way out of a trial, unless the Lord takes us home, is to go through it. James commands us here to ask for wisdom, not to ask or beg or wait for the eject button. Paul, when suffering with his thorn and asking God three times to remove it, God tells him what? That his grace is sufficient. Paul learned to bear with the thorn by relying and boasting in God's grace and goodness. He gains steadfastness. What you and I receive when we pray to the Lord is wisdom, knowledge applied. It's, it's right conduct, doing the right thing at the right time. Uh, James tells us uh, the characteristics of this wisdom in James chapter 3 up on the screen for you. He says, but the wisdom from above, it's coming from God, is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits and partial and sincere. To have these qualities and act this way during the troubles that you come across isn't natural. We need this from the Lord. The wisdom that is uh, promised to us is guaranteed to us if we ask God. Uh, this is this promise to us. God gives the wisdom to us generously, as he says here, without reproach. What that means here is that God does not hold back the amount of wisdom given. And neither does he use uh, your need for wisdom as an excuse or opportunity to now discipline you. God doesn't get frustrated, upset, bitter, or mocks us while he's given us wisdom. God's not up in heaven like, oh, this guy needs wisdom again? Or before I help you, tell me why you think you got into this situation. I love that uh, last week as Pastor Ted preached on Genesis 24, the picture of God answering our prayers is that while we're in the middle of speaking or asking God, he is already answering our prayer requests while we are asking. While asking for wisdom, he's already writing the blank check of wisdom while hearing our story. But this wisdom comes with a condition to be received. You can look with me now in verses 6 to 8 of of James chapter 1. James says, But let him ask in faith, with no doubting. For the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. On a first glance, we may think that uh, we just have to pray hard enough or pray with enough faith, and then God is going to give us the wisdom that we are going to need in that situation. But notice James doesn't say, let him ask with a lot of faith, or let him ask with great faith. He says here in verse 6, let him ask in faith or with faith. We just simply pray in faith. What guarantees us gaining wisdom in our trials is believing that God is gonna give us wisdom in our trials. Believing that God is gonna do what he himself has promised us. Uh, You see, this prayer and even praying in general is about us believing the person of God, believing in whom God says that he is. And this doubt here isn't, you know, I believe, but help my unbelief. The doubt here is more so like clear belief, no belief at all. It says here that you are like a wave of the sea. Uh, Some of your Bibles may say the surgeon sea, a swirling mix of emotions and thoughts, never settled, uh, uh, never firm. Outside forces determine and sway you between whether or not you're going to believe God or not. You're, in, you're, you're one foot in and one foot out. To doubt the very effect of prayer is to actually doubt the very uh, person and character of God. And, and our prayer life is a reflection of our Christian life as well. James says here that this man is double-minded. That means double-souled or hearted. His head is in two places, unstable in all his ways. Anytime I get the opportunity to quote uh, uh, this, use this quote by former elder uh, Dennis Baggett, uh, I got to do it. So uh, he says, when we do not pray, we are either omnipotent or foolish, all-powerful or foolish. And one of those is not true. To doubt the person and character of God is to believe that you, though in your mind are, are, or in your heart, are a wave of the sea or a surging sea. You can confuse people who try to understand you because of your unbelief. You believe that you have it all together. And that actually is pride. You're not going to get anything from God because you're not really asking from him in the first place. And as James says here, you're divided in all your ways. What other ways are you double-minded in? In verse 9 to 11, James says, that the lowly brother boasts in his exaltation "'and the rich in his humiliation, "'because like a flower of the grass, he will pass away. "'For the sun rises with its scorching heat "'and withers the grass, its flowers falls, "'and its beauty perishes.'" So also would a rich man fade away in the midst of his pursuits? James gives us our uh, a fourth command here, another let command. You see, in the same way that we can hinder and slow down the goal of our testing by not counting our trials as joy, as all joy, we can hinder and slow down the goal of us gaining wisdom through prayer in our trials when we're too focused on our physical status among men and not our spiritual status in God to be so focused on what we do and do not deserve. You see, prayer doesn't just make us receive from the Lord, but it also helps us remember who we are to the Lord as well and be thankful for that. Trials and, or troubles, they don't care who you are, how much money you make. And your prayers in these seasons will pull you out from focusing so much on your, you know, social or economic status or what other people think of you and focus more on your status and relationship with God and his promises. Trials help us remember that the poor or humble person is still loved by God is still a child in this promise, a kingdom. And the rich person is not exempt from trials. They're not a special class of, 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 of children of God. That our treasure should not be where our heart is at. And all that we have will pass away. The flowers will fall. Praying for wisdom in our trials humbles us to depend on God to act. But it also humbles us to remember what we are promised and given. Our prayers will both have an aspect of requesting, but also enable us to uh, be thankful and therefore act rightly in our trials as well. And living here in the West, uh, uh, most of us are going to be in the shoes of this rich person here. Uh, This poor person is the widow or the orphan or that uh, uh, worker who, if they take a day off, they're not going to eat. Paycheck to paycheck. But most of us will be considered rich. So don't be surprised that the trials that you will find yourselves in most of the time will involve finances, your livelihood, and the American dream. Trials aren't roadblocks to your social economic success, but reminders and tests to live open-handed with what God has given you and remain dependent on the Lord. God, at the end of the day, is always going to be our provider. That's not going to change. That our identity should not be rooted in what we have. We are to actually grow in our dependence in the Lord and on the Lord. Trials will go well and end well when we have the right Attitude and posture. And then lastly, perspective. They will go well and end well when we have the right perspective of trials. In verse 12 of James chapter one, James says, a blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. For when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. And so here, trials don't just go well, uh, but they also end well, both now and later. That word blessed means happy and fortunate. It's having joy and thankfulness. There's some relief when our trials end. We can feel like the weight has fallen off of us, that, that, that the trouble has subsided, the storm has blown, o- that has blown over. And as daunting as it may sound that, that after enduring a test that there is another one coming, there is a reward that James tells us that makes it all worth it. You and I who believe in Jesus and love him will receive a crown. Here's a picture of what that could look like. And it's not, this crown that we're going to receive is not a kingly crown, but it's more like an Olympian wreath. When you and I receive this crown, we're going to look much happier uh, than this guy up on the photo. It's hard to find uh, a good photo of a wreath. God is actually going to reward us and commend us for our steadfastness and endurance in this Life. Think of the hardest trials you faithfully endured. God is going to reward you for that. Like marathon runners, after finishing our race, we will be rewarded with eternal life, not needing to run the same way as we had anymore. But not all of us will complete this race. Because with every test of our faith, Uh, there is also a temptation of our desires. You can look with me now in verse 13. It says, Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. Here's our uh, fifth command, to let, let no one say. Have you guys ever grown up with... um, household curse words uh, or bad words you're not allowed to say in the home but they're not essentially evil or sinful or uh, swearing but it's disrespectful to say or do these things in your household it's worthy of the worst discipline in your house for some of you it's like yelling or raising your voice at your sibling or family member For some of you it's rolling your eyes kissing your teeth, walking away during a heated discussion, snapping your fingers. For me, when you know, we really wanted our siblings to stop talking, we were only allowed to say, be quiet. Couldn't say anything more than that. And if I were to ever take it up a notch and say what I really want to say, it came with uh, 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 severe consequences. And to my household, it was such a bad thing to say these things because it revealed a level of disrespect, hatred, and oppression, that my parents didn't want any of that in our house. James here has the same tone. Don't you ever say God's tempting you? That's not true. It's just something that we may at times think, or worst case, we actually say these things. You see, the same word for test here in verse 3 is the same word for temptation here in verse 13. Let me show you what that looks like up on the screen. There's kind of two paths we can take when we are in a trial. The trial, again, is trouble. It's a season or a situation where, where, where peace is disturbed, and when peace is disturbed on the test of faith, uh, when you are in trouble, you now you now are in a place where you need to believe uh, the God and His promises. That is being revealed. Are you going to believe in Him still, despite the fact that you are in a trouble? Will will you pray for wisdom as you humble as you humbly recognize who you are to God? This test is meant to be an evaluation. Of, of quality and consistence through our obedience. We do the previous four commands. These acts of obedience will therefore produce steadfastness and endurance. And when you endure this, God will, will bless you after the trial and also reward you when your trials are all complete. But during the trial and the trouble, there is another path we can take. A temptation is a solicitation or or a request to do evil through disobedience. You see, God not being able to, 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 to tempt us to evil is a good thing. It means he will never, ever, 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 ever ask you to sin. He will never put you in a situation that the only thing you can do is disobey him. In fact, when we're in situations like this, when we are overwhelmed, this is what God does up on a screen for us. In 1 Corinthians chapter 10, uh, verse 13, uh, Paul says, no temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability, but with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. God sovereignly allows and even ordains and sets up trials that we get tested. A temptation can happen, but it's not God who is tempting us. Jesus prayed for this very thing and taught us to pray for this very thing. And God ensures that there is always a way out. The start of that wrong path is to blame God instead of counting it all joy which then leads us uh, to uh, uh, what is therefore tempting us if it's not God. In verse 14 to 15, you can look with me there. James says, but each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it has fully grown, brings forth death. Being lured and enticed is being both activated and distracted at the same time. It's like a fish, mice, and bears. Uh, All you see is the worm, the cheese, and the meat. But you you do not see and are distracted to actually see the hook or the snap or the jaw of these traps. And notice that the desires here are not worded as sinful desires. They're just simply desires. The word there is lust, are things that we just really want in life, like finances or a home or a car, a spouse, uh, respect, honor, escape, attention, affection, pleasure. These are not bad things in and of themselves, but are you going to disobey God in order to get them? Will you jump at the next opportunity to have these things, even if it means disobeying God? These desires we have are possessed by us. They are ours. We own them. They are both our preferences and what we socialize uh, to agree and, 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 and have. No one makes us sin. And when we come to a trial, we never leave the same. Listen to a passage uh, by Timothy, a sermon by Timothy Keller. The second you are in a trial, you are going to come out of it different, more godly or more worldly. Let me show you uh, with the next slide up on the screen. Great. Uh, In the test of faith, through our obedience, we gain joy. We count it and we let steadfastness have its full effect. We then gain humility as steadfastness and endurance builds because we are praying and asking God to help us. And after completing the trials, we, we, we are blessed. There is a reward that comes to us. But during a temptation of our desires, our frustration at trouble reveals and fosters bitterness. That we're in a trial. Like, why is this happening to me? Then in our pursuit of our desires, our lusts, we grow prideful and forget about God. And then therefore disobey him in order to have those things. That's how we fail a test. We escape the trouble by disobedience and that gives birth to shame and condemnation. We don't walk out the same from that trial. The Bible says that the wages of sin is death. And this is and this death here is a permanent, everlasting punishment in hell for our sin. James gives his final command here in this chapter to help us prevent ourselves from going on this path of temptation. In verse 17, he says, Every good gift, sorry, let's look at verse 16. Do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. Every good gift and every perfect gift. It's from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. There is a battle of the mind here. We prevent ourselves from going down the path of temptation by being reminded of the truth that that we can place our faith in. James says that every good and perfect gift comes down from above, comes down from God. That no matter what trial we find ourselves in, whatever trouble that we are in, God will give us what is good at his time In James says here that God is the father of lights. And the original audience, the, the, the Jews would be acquainted with this language. They would know that God is the creator and bringer of light, of the sun, moon, and stars. He is hidden in light, and he is light. Light gives light, life, reveals truth, disperses darkness. Though trials and seasons, though trials are seasons, are, 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 are times where it feels like God is far from us, that it feels like there's a cloud over our heads and God's goodness can't be seen, God doesn't change. The sun is still there. You and I can endure our trials because we have faith in an unchanging God who loves us and won't withhold anything that we need. There'd be no need for us to disbelieve and disobey God and pursue our desires and disobedience. But that's much easier said than done. Uh, How many tests uh, have you and I failed this week? How many times did we disbelieve God's promises, not humble ourselves and choose to disobey him How many times have you and I deserved death? In verse 12, James teaches us that the crown of life is given on a condition to those who love God. But since everyone has had moments, many moments, of not loving God and loving ourselves and our sin through our disobedience, we actually have a problem here. And it's only by God that we have a solution. In verse 18, it says, Of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth, that we should be a kind of firstfruits of his creatures. God in the gospel does an act of faith, a grace, sorry. He does and gives us something that you and I do not deserve, that results in us being a a byproduct of life. Instead of uh, uh, leaving us alone to, to bring upon death ourselves, God made us the first harvest of something uh, greater to come. How he did it and what that means for us, I have a couple of uh, passages up on the screen for us to close. In First John chapter 4, verse 10, John says, And this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us. And sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. For our sin, you and I deserve, uh, you and I deserve death for disobeying many times our good and loving Creator, who has never put anyone or his or his creatures in, in a situation inciting for us or hoping that we sin, but has always ordained situations so that we succeed. So that their love is evidence in their unwavering trust, dependency, and understanding of God's character. Despite our sin, God sent his only son that he loved to live the life you and I should have lived. Every other saint has at least failed a test once. But Jesus never has. Jesus, even though led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted, it wasn't God who tempted Jesus. It was Satan, he trusted in God's promises, was dependent and never forgot the joy that was set before him. He knew what his reward was and was able to wait. Jesus, though tempted in every way, every category you can think of was brought before Jesus and he never gave into temptation. This is what enables Jesus to sympathize with us when we go through our own temptations. This Jesus dies in our place willingly so that if we repent of our sin, and that is to confess and turn away from living for ourselves and believe that Jesus is who he says he is, uh, he is able to forgive us for our sins and we will then be saved. This is God's goodness and his grace towards us and it hasn't stopped there. In verse 18, he says, Of his own will he brought us forth by the word of truth through the gospel that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. That word first fruits just means the promise to come. It's simply the first batch of many. The rest of the harvest is on its way. And this assures us that God is making a new heaven and a new earth where trial and temptation uh, will never happen again. Until then, we are to simply continue being what we are, recipients and participants of love, and therefore obligated and willing to go through testing. Last verse to share with you from 1 John uh, chapter 4, verse 19, and John chapter 14, verse 15. As recipients of his love, first John, John tells us that we love because he first loved us. And in John 14, verse 15. 15, Jesus says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. Every test or trial that we go to is a test of our love for God. And if we love him, we will obey him. Trials will, again, go well and end well when we have the right attitude, posture, and perspective. We remember the attitude uh, we are to have towards our trials. It is for our good for our growth and for our refinements and development. Remember to count it all joy and to let it have its full effect for us. We Remember that uh, the posture we are to have during our trials, humility and dependency on who we are to God and his willingness and eagerness to give us what we need, which is wisdom, and we can ask for that. And to remember the perspective we are to have at our trials that there's a future reward and that it's never God who is tempting us. So don't think wrongly of his character and remember where trials eventually lead us uh, to receive his crown. So let's pray together and thank God for his grace. And so Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you so much that you make for us these very great and good promises. Uh, Promises that we can be thankful for, promises that we can hold on to even when uh, everything else going around us seems to be uh, uh, troubling, to literally be in trial. And Lord, I thank you, God, that you make yourself available to give us what it is that we need, that you are eager and willing, generously, without reproach, giving us what we need in order to succeed in our trials. Thank you, God, that you don't uh, put us in these situations to, uh, to punish us, but you put us in these situations to deepen our love and refine it for you. I pray, oh God, for those of us who are in a trial right now, and maybe they've been in the trial for a very long time. Maybe they feel like giving up. But Lord, I just pray that um, you make the road of joy, blessing, and humility very clear for them, uh, that they may be able to walk in faith and and like Jesus, set our joy, set uh, our hope to what is coming to enable us to uh, stand firm in these trials. I pray, God, for those who are coming out of a trial, that you may give them the relief that they they need to be refreshed and encouraged and reminded of your blessing and goodness. And I pray for those who are entering a trial, that you uh, that, this, that this message be something that was encouraging and, and helpful, that they are equipped now to have the right attitude when entering this, these trials. I thank you, God, for the trials that you've uh, given to me, uh, the steadfastness that you've granted to me. And I thank you, God, for you carrying me and for forgiving me and, and all of us who have uh, sinned during these trials, who have failed many, many tests. I pray, God, that we uh, can lean onto your grace and remain thankful for what you have done for us in the gospel and that we can look forward to uh, the trials to come and when trials are to end. So I pray this all in your name. Amen.